Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. Here begins the saga of Thorstein, the Viking's son. 1. The beginning of this saga is that a king named Loga ruled that country, which is north of Norway. Loga was larger and stronger than any other man in that country. His name was lengthened from Loga to Haluga, and after him the country was called Halugaland. Loga was the fairest of men, and his strength and stature was like unto that of his kinsmen, the giants, from whom he was descended. His wife was Gluth, a daughter of Grim of Grimsgard, which is situated in Jotunheim in the north. And Jotunheim was at that time called Elivagar. Grim was a very great berserk. His wife was Alfor, the sister of Alf the Old. He ruled that kingdom which lies between two rivers, both of which were called Elfs taking their name from him. The river south of his kingdom, dividing it from Gautland, the country of King Galt, was called Galt's Elf. The one north of it was called Ram's Elf, and named after King Ram, and the kingdom of the latter was called Ramsrik. The land governed by King Alf was called Alfheim, and all his offspring are related to the elves. They were fairer than any other people save the giants. King Alf was married to Bringert, a daughter of King Ralm of Ramsrik. She was a large woman, but she was not beautiful, because her father, King Ralm, was ugly-looking, and hence ugly-looking and large men are called Great Rams. King Haloga and his wife, Queen Gluth, had two daughters, named Isa, glowing embers, and Dimira, embers. These maids were the fairest in the land on account of their parentage, for their father and mother were both very fair. But as fire and light make dark things bright, so these things took their names from the above-named maids. There lived with Haloga two jarls, named Vifil and Faset, both of whom were large and strong men, and they were warders of the king's land. One day, the jarls went to the king, Vifil to woo Emira, and Faset to woo Isa. But the king refused both, on which account they grew so angry that they soon afterward carried off the maids, fleeing with them out of the land, and thus putting themselves out of his reach. But the king declared them outlaws in his kingdom, hindered them by witchcraft from ever again becoming dwellers in his land, and, moreover, enchanted their kinsmen, making these also outlaws, and deprived them of the benefit of their states forever. Beset settled in an island, called Borgen's home, and became the father of Bew and Sigurd, named Cape. Vifil sailed further to the east and established himself in an island called Vifil's Isle. With his wife, Ymira, he got a son, Viking by name, 
who in his early youth became a man of great stature and extraordinary strength. 2. There was a king called Ring who ruled the Filka of Sweden. With his queen he had an only child, a daughter by the name of Hanvor, a maiden of unrivalled beauty and education. She had a magnificent bower and was attended by a suite of maidens. There was a maiden called Ingeborg, who was next to her in position, and she was the daughter of Herfin, a jarl of Woolen Acre. Most people said that Ingeborg was not inferior to the daughter of the king in any respect, excepting in strength and wisdom, which Hunfer possessed in higher degree than all others in the land. Many kings and princes wooed Ingeborg, but she refused them all. She was thought to be a woman of boundless pride and insolence, and it was also talked by many that her pride and insolence might someday receive a check in some way or other. Thus, time passed on for a while. There was a mountain back of the king's residence, so high that no human paths traversed it. One day a man, if you might be so called, came down from the mountain. He was larger and more fierce-looking than any person that had ever before been seen. He looked more like a giant than a human being. In his hand, he held a bayonet-like two-pointed pike. This happened while the king was sitting at the table. This ram came to the door of the hall and requested to be permitted to enter, but the porters refused to admit him. Then he smote the porters with his pike and pierced both of them from breast to back, one being pierced by the point of the pike and the other by the other whereupon he lifted both of them over his head and threw their corpses down upon the ground behind him. Then, entering the door, he approached the king's throne and thus addressed him. As I, King Ring, have honoured you so much as to visit you, I think it your duty to grant my request. The king asked what the request might be and what his name was. He answered, my name is Harik the Ironhead, and I am the son of King Kol Kroppenbach of India. But my errand is that I wish you to place your daughter, your country, and your subjects in my hands. And I think most people will say that it is better for the kingdom that I rule it instead of you, who are destitute of strength and manhood, and moreover enfeebled by age. But as it may seem humiliating to you to surrender your kingdom, I will agree on my part to marry your daughter Hanvor. But, if this is not satisfactory to you, I will kill you, take possession of your kingdom, and make Hanvor my concubine. Now the king felt sorely perplexed, for all the people were grieved at their conversation. Then said the king, It seems to me that we ought to know what she will answer. And to this, Harik assented. Then Hanvor was sent for, and the matter was explained to her. And she said, I like the looks of this man very well, although he seems likely to treat me with severity. But I consider him perfectly worthy of me. If I marry him, nevertheless, I wish to ask whether no ransom can be paid, and I be free. Yes, there can, answered Harik. If the king will try a home gang with me within four nights, or procure another man in his stead, 
then all power shall be surrendered to the one slaying the other in the duel. Certainly, answered Hanvor. None could be found who is able to subdue you in a duel. Nevertheless, I will agree to your proposition. After this, Harak went out, but Hanvor betook herself to her bower, weeping bitterly. Then the king asked his men if there was nobody among them who regarded his daughter Hanvor a sufficient prize for which to risk his life in a home gang with Harak. But although all wished to marry her, yet nobody was willing to risk the jewel, looking upon it as certain death. Many also said that this fate was deserved by her, since she had refused so many, and marrying Harak would be a check to her pride. She had a manservant by the name of Aymond, a fellow faithful to her and to be trusted in all matters. This man she sent for straight away on the same day, saying to him, It will not prove advisable to keep quiet. I want to send you away. Take a boat and row to the island which lies outside of Willenacre. It is called Vifel's Isle. On the island there is a buyer. Thither you must go and arrive there tomorrow at nightfall. You are to enter the western door of the buyer, and when you have entered, you will see a sprightly old man and an elderly woman. Any other persons you will not see. They have a son by the name Viking, who is now fifteen years old and a man of great ability, but he will not be present. I hope you will be able to help us out of our troubles. If not, I fear there will scarcely be any help for us. You must keep out of sight, but if you happen to see a third person, then throw this letter on his lap and hurry home. Without delay, Aymond, with a company of eleven men, went on board a ship and sailed to Vifel's Isle. He goes ashore alone and proceeds to the buyer, where he finds the firehouse and places himself behind the door. The Bondi was sitting by the fire with his wife, and he seemed to Aymond, a man of brave countenance. The fire was almost burnt out, and the house was but faintly lighted by the embers. Said the woman, I think, my dear Vifel, that it would prove to our advantage if our son Viking should present himself. For no one seems to be offering himself for combat, and the time for a duel with Haruk is close at hand. I do not think it advisable, Emira, answered he, for our son is yet young and rash, ambitious and careless. It will be his sudden death if he should be induced to fight with Haruk. Nevertheless, it is for you to manage this matter as you think best. Presently a door opened back of the Bondi, and a man of wonderful stature entered, taking his seat by the side of his mother. Aymond threw the letter on the lap of Viking, ran to the ship, came to Hunver and told her how he had done his errand. Fate will now have to settle the matter, says Hunver. Viking took the letter in which he found a greeting from the king's daughter, and, moreover, a promise that she would be his wife if he would fight with Haruk the Ironhead. At this, Viking turned pale, observing which, Vifel asked him what letter that was. Viking showed him the letter. This I knew, said Vifel, and it would have been better, Emira, if I had decided this matter myself, when we talked about it a little while ago. But what do you propose to do? says Viking. Would it not be well to save the princess? 
replied Vifo. It would be sudden death to you if you were to fight with Harik. I will run the risk, answered Viking. Then there is no remedy, says Bifo. But I will give you an account of his family and of himself. Three. Tyrus the Great was king of India. He was an excellent ruler in every respect, and his queen a very superior woman, with whom he had an only daughter called Trona. She was the fairest among the fair, and unlike the majority of her sex, she excelled all other princesses in wisdom. The saga must also mention a man by the name of Kol, of whom a great many good things are told. First, that he was as large as a giant, ugly-looking as the devil, and so well-skilled in the black art that he could pass through the earth as well as walk upon it, could glue together steeds and stars. Furthermore, he was so great a hand-leaper that he could burst into the shape of various kinds of animals. He would sometimes ride on the winds or pass through the sea, and he had so large a hump on his back that although he stood upright, the hump would reach above his head. This call went to India with a great army, slew Tyrus, married Trona, and subjugated the land and the people. He begot many children with Trona, all of whom were far more like their father than their mother. Call was nicknamed Kropenbach, or Humpback. He had three rare treasures. These were a sword so mighty that none better was wielded at that time, and the name of the sword was Ankurvadal. Another of the treasures was a gold ring called Glessir. The third was a horn. And such was the nature of the beverage contained in the lower part of it, that all who drank therefrom were attacked by an illness called leprosy, and became so forgetful that they remembered nothing of the past. But by drinking from the upper part of the horn, their health and memory were restored. Their eldest child was Bjorn the Bluetooth. His tooth was of a blue colour, and extended an L and a half out of his mouth. With this tooth, he often in battles, or when he was violently enraged, put people to death. A daughter of Kol was Dis. The third child of Kol and Trona was Harik, whose head at the age of seven was perfectly bald, and whose skull was as hard as steel. Wherefore, he was called Ironhead. Their fourth child was called Ingild, whose upper lip measured an L from his nose, whence he was called Ingildrana, the snout. It was the pastime of the brothers when at home that Bjorn the Bluetooth cut his tooth into the skull of his brother Harik with all his might without hurting him. No weapon could be made to stick to the lip of Ingild's snout. By incantations, Call the Humpback brought it about that none of his offspring could be killed by any other weapon than by the sword Angravadl. No other iron could skate them. But when Call had become old enough, he died a horrible death. At the time of his death, Trona was pregnant and gave birth to a son called Call after his father. And he was as like his father as he was akin to him. At one year old, Call was so ugly to children that he was nicknamed Call Krapa, the crafty. Dis married Yokel Ironback, a blue berserk. She and her brothers divided their father's heritage betwixt themselves, so that Dis got the horn 
with Bjorn Bluetooth the sword, Harik the ring, Ingeald the kingdom, and Kol the personal property. Three winters after the death of King Kol, Jonah married Jarl Herfin, a son of King Grotmar of Maseraland, and the first winter after they were married, she bore him a son named Framar, who was a man of great possibilities, quite unlike his brothers. And here Vifel paused in the telling. Now it seems to me, continued Vifel, that you not ought to risk your life in a duel with this hellstrong man whom no iron can scape. Not so, answered Viking. I shall run the risk, whatever may be the result. And Vifel, seeing that Viking was in real earnest when he insisted on fighting with Harik, said, I can tell you still more about the sons of Kol. Beset and I were wardens of King Haloga's country. During the summer seasons, we used to wage wars, and once we met beyond Bluetooth in Grenig's Sound, and in such a manner did we fight that Beset smote Bjorn's hand with his club, so that the sword fell from his hand, and then I caught it, flung it through him, and he lost his life. From that time I have worn the sword, and now I give it to you, my son. Vifel then brought forth the sword and gave it to Viking, who liked it very much. The Viking then prepared himself, went on board a boat, and came to the hall of the king on the day appointed for the duel. There everything was sad and dreary. The Viking went before the king and greeted him. The king asked him his name. Viking told him the truth. Hanvor was sitting on one side of the king. Then Viking asked her whether she had requested him to come. She replied in the affirmative. The king asked what terms she offered him for venturing into a home gang with Harik. The king replied, I will give you my daughter in marriage, and a suitable dowry besides. The king gave his consent to this, and then he was betrothed to Hanver. But it was the common opinion that it would be a certain death to him if he should fight with Harik. Four. Then Viking went to the home, accompanied by the king and his courtiers. Thither came Harik too, and asked who was appointed to fight with him. Viking stepped forward and said, I am the man. Where to Harik made the reply? I suppose it will be an easy matter to strike you to the ground, for I know it will be the end of you if I smite you with my fist. But I suppose answered Viking, that you consider it no trifling matter to fight with me, since you tremble at the very sight of me. Harik replied, Not so, and I must save your life, since you go willingly to the open jaws of death. And do you smite first according to the laws of Homegang? For I am the challenger in this duel. But in the meantime, I shall stand perfectly still, for I am not afraid of any danger. At this time, Viking drew his sword Angravadal, from which lightning seemed to flash. Harik seeing this said, I would never have fought with you had I known you were in possession of Angravadal, and most likely it will turn out as my father said, namely, that I and my brothers and my sister would be all short-lived, excepting the one bearing his own name, and it was a great misfortune that Angravadal passed out of the hands of our family. At this moment, 
Viking struck Haddock's skull and split his trunk from one end to the other, so that the sword stood in the ground to the hilt. Then the men of the king burst out in loud triumphant shouting, and the king went home to his hall with great joy. Now they began to talk about preparing the wedding feast, but Viking said he was not willing to be married just yet. She shall remain betrothed, he said, and not wedded till after three years. Meanwhile, I am going to wage war. So this was done, and Viking went abroad with two ships. He was very successful, gaining victory in every battle, and after having spent two years as a Viking, he landed at an island in the autumn at a time when the weather was fair and very warm. Five. The same day as Viking landed at an island, he went ashore to amuse himself. He turned his steps towards the forest and then grew very hot. Having come to an open place in the forest, he sat down and saw a woman of exquisite beauty walking along. She came up to him, greeted him very courteously, and he received her very kindly. They talked together a long time and their conversation was very friendly. He asked her her name, and she said it was Solbjörd, Sunbright. She then asked him if he was not thirsty, as he had walked so far, but Viking said he was not. She then took a horn, which she had kept under her cloak, offered him a drink from it, and he accepting it and drinking therefrom, became sleepy, and bending his body into the lap of Solbjörd, he fell asleep. But when he awoke, she had entirely disappeared. The drink had made him feel somewhat strange, and his whole body was shivering. The weather was gusty and cold, and he had forgotten nearly everything of the past, and least of all, did he recollect Hanvor. He then went to his ship and departed from that place, and now he was confined to his bed by a disease called leprosy. He and his men frequently sailed near land, but were unwilling to go ashore and remain there. After having suffered twelve months from this sickness, it grew still more severe, and his body was covered with many sores. One day, sailing to land, they saw three ships passing the harbour, and at their meeting they asked for each other's names. The Viking told his name, but the other chieftain said his name was Halfdan, and that he was the son of Ulf. Halfdan was a large and strong-looking man, and when he had learned of the condition of Viking, he went on board his ship, where he found him very weak. Halfdan asked him the cause of his illness, and Viking told him everything that had happened. Halfdan answered, Here the Hamleaper Dis, Cole's daughter, succeeded in her tricks, and I think it will be difficult to get any assistance from her in writing this matter, for she undoubtedly thinks that she has avenged her brother, Haddock Ironhead. I will offer you foster brotherhood, and we will try whether we cannot revenge ourselves on this. Answered Viking to this. Owing to my weakness, I have no hope at all of being able to kill this and her husband, Yokel Ironback. But, such is my opinion of you, that even though I were in the best circumstances, your father makes your offer very flattering to me. And thus it was agreed that they should become foster brothers. Halfton had a great dragon called Iron Ram, 
All of this ship that stood out of the water was ironclad. It rose high out of the sea, and was a very costly treasure. Having spent a short time there, they left the place and went home to Svath. Then Viking's strength diminished so that he became sick unto death. But when they had landed, Hafton left the ships alone and proceeded, until he came into an open space in a forest, where there stood a large rock. He went up to it, and knocked at it with his rod, and out of the rock there came a dwarf who lived there. His name was Lit, or Colour. He was a warm friend of Hafton, whom the dwarf greeted kindly, and asked what his errand was. Replied Hafton, It is now of great importance to me, foster father, that you do my errand. What is it, my foster son? I want you to procure for me the good horn of Dis, Call's daughter, said Hafton. Risk that yourself, said Lit, or it will be my death if I attempt it, and even the sacrifice of myself would be in vain. For you know there does not exist such a troll in the whole world as this. Replied Hafton, I am sure you will do as well as you can. Upon this they parted, Hafton returning to his ships and remaining there for some time. 6. Now it must be told of King Ring that he and his daughter Hunvor dwelt in his kingdom after the slake of Harrick Ironhead, which seemed to all a great deed of daring. This event was heard of in India, and Ingyald Snout was startled by the tidings of Harrick's death. He began to cut the war arrow, and dispatched it throughout the whole country, thus collecting an army containing a crowd of people, among whom there were many of the rabble, and with this army he marched towards Sweden. He came there unexpected, and offered the king battle. The challenge was accepted without delay, although the king had but a few men, and the result of this battle was soon decided. King Ring fell, together with all his courtiers, but Ingjald took Hunver and Ingeborg and carried them away to India. Jokul Ironback went to seek out the foster brothers, wishing to revenge the death of his brother-in-law, Harik. Now the story goes on, to tell about Viking and Hafdan staying at Svath. Seven nights had passed away when Lit met Hafdan and brought the horn to him. This made Hafdan very glad, and he went to Viking, whom almost everybody then thought to be not far from death. Hafdan put a drop of the fluid from the upper part of the horn on Viking's lips. This brought Viking to his senses. He began to grow stronger. It was like unto a person awakening from a slumber, and the uncleanness fell from him as scales fall from a fish. Thus, he day by day grew better and was restored. After this, they got ready to depart from Svath and directed their course north of Bilgard's side. There they saw eighteen ships, all of a large size and covered with black tents. Said Hafdan, Here, I think Yokel Ironback and his wife the Hamleeper are lying before us, and I do not know how Lit parted with them, as being so exhausted that he could not speak. But now, I think there is a good reason for going to battle. Let everything of value be taken away from the ships, and let stones be put in instead. This was done. Then, 
After a quick rowing to the strangers, they asked who the chieftains were. Yoko gave them his name and asked for their names in return. They said they were Hafdan and Viking. Then we need not ask what came to pass. A very hot battle took place, and the Foster Brothers lost more men than Yoko, for the latter dealt heavy blows. Then Viking, followed by Hafdan, made an attempt to board Yoko's dragon, after which a great number of the crew of the dragon were slain. Yokul and Haftan met and exchanged blows with one another, but although Yokul was the stronger, Haftan succeeded in giving him a blow across the back with his sword. And yet, in spite of his being without his coat of mail, the sword did not escape him. Meanwhile, Viking came to Haftan's assistance. He smote Yokul's shoulder and split his side, thus separating one arm and both feet, the one above the knee from the trunk. Then Yokel fell, but was not yet dead. He said, I knew that when this had been forsaken by luck, much of evil was in store. The first of all was that villain Lit betrayed her, and thus succeeded by tricks in stealing the horn from her, and at the same time hurt her, so that she is confined to her bed from the encounter. But I should also be inclined to think that he has not escaped without some injury to himself either. Had she been on foot, the matter would not have resulted thus. But I am glad you have not got the Princess Hunvor from my brother-in-law, Ingjeld's note. After this he soon died, and then a cry of victory was shouted and quarter was given to the wounded who could be cured. They got much booty there, and on shore they found Dis, almost lifeless from her encounter with Lit. They seized her, and put a skin over her head, and stoned her to death. Hereupon they went back to Svath, and cured the wounds of their men. And having equipped twenty-four ships, all well furnished with men and weapons, they announced that they were bound for India. 7. Ingeld Snout made great preparations, fortifying the walls of his burg, and collecting a great number of people, some of which were rabble of the worst kind. As soon as the Foster Brothers had landed, they hurried to the country with fire and sword. Everybody was in fear of them. Before Ingeld was aware of it, they had made a great plunder. Now he goes against them. They met, and a battle was fought. Halfdan and Viking thought they had never before been in so great danger as in this battle. The Foster Brothers showed great bravery, and toward the end of the battle, more men began to fall in Ingjald's army. The battle lasted four days, and at last none but Ingjald remained on his feet. He could not be wounded at all, and seemed to move through the air as easily as on the ground. Finally, by surrounding him with shields, they succeeded in getting him captive, and put him in chains, and bound his hands with bowstring. It was then so dark, that they did not think it convenient to kill him on the spot, Viking being unwilling to slay a man at night time. They ran into the burg and carried Hunvor and Ingeborg away to their ships. Here they lay during the night, but in the morning the warders were dead, and Ingjald was not to be found, his chains lying broken, and the bowstring not untied. No mark of iron could be found on the warders, and thus it was clear that Ingjald had made use of trollcraft. Now they hoisted their sails, left this country, 
and directed their course homeward to Sweden. Then the king made preparations for the wedding and married Hanvor. At the same time, Afton began his suit and asked for the hand of Ingeborg, the daughter of the Jarl. Word was sent to Jarl Herfin of Wulan Acre. He came and gave favourable answer, and it was agreed that Hafton should marry Ingeborg. Arrangements for the wedding were made, and the marriage ceremony was performed. The foster brothers stayed there during the winter. The following summer, they went abroad with ten ships, waged wars in the Baltic, and having got great booty, they returned home in the fall. Thus they lived as Vikings for three years, spending only winters at home, and none were more famous than they. One summer they sailed to Denmark. Here they hurried and entered the Limfjord, where they saw nine ships and a dragon lying at anchor. They immediately directed their fleet towards these ships and asked for the name of the commander. He was called Njorfa and added, I am the ruler of the uplands in Norway and I have just gotten my paternal heritage. What is the name of those who have just come? They told him this, said Hafton. I will offer to you, as to other Vikings, two conditions. That one, you give up your fee, ships and weapons and go ashore free. And the other, that you fight in a battle with us. Answered Njorfa, this seems to me hard terms. I choose rather to defend my fee, and if need be, fall with bravery than to flee feeless and dishonoured, although you have a larger army and ships of greater size and number than mine. Said Viking, We shall not be so mean as to attack you with more ships than you have. Five of our ships shall therefore lie idle during the battle. Answered Njorfa, This is bravely spoken. And so they got ready for battle, which then began. They fought with their ships stem to stem. The attack was very violent on both sides, for Njorfa fought with great daring, and the foster brothers also showed great bravery. Three days they fought, but they still did not seem to know who would win. Asked then Viking, Is there much fee in your ships? Answered Njorfa, No. For from these places where we have been harrying this summer, the bondies fled with their fee, and hence but little booty has been taken. Said Viking, Unwise it seems to me to fight only for the sake of outdoing each other, and thus spill the blood of many men. But are you willing to form a league with us? Answered Njorfa, It will be good for me to form a league with you, although you are not a king's son. For I know that your father was a Jarl, and an excellent man. I am willing to have a foster brotherhood formed between us, on the condition that you are a Jarl and I a king, according to our birthright, which must remain unchanged, whether we are in my kingdom or in any other. During this talk, Hafdan was silent. The king asked why he had so little to say in the matter. He answered, it seems to me that it may be good to make such an agreement betwixt you, but I shall not be surprised if you should get to feel that some or other of Njorfa's relatives become burdensome to you. I will, however, have nothing to do with this matter, but will neither dissuade nor encourage you. 
The result was that Njorfa and Vikin came to terms and formed a foster brotherhood, giving oaths mutually on the terms which have been before stated. They waged wars during the summer and took much booty, but in the fall they parted, Njorfa going to Norway and Viking accompanied by Halfdan to Sweden. But soon after Viking had come home, Hanvar was taken sick and died. They had a son who was called Ring. He was brought up in Sweden until he was full grown and became a king of that country. He did not live long, but had a great many descendants. The Foster Brothers kept on waging wars every summer and became very famous. During their warfares, they gathered so many ships that they had 50 in all. 8. It must be told of Ingeld's knight that he gathered an innumerable army and went to search for the Foster Brothers, Viking and Halfdan. And one summer they met in the Baltic, Ingeld having 40 ships. It came straight away to a fight, and they fought in such a manner that it was not easy to see which side would win. At last, Viking, immediately followed by Njorfa and Halfdan, tried to board Ingeld's dragon. They made a great havoc, killing one man after the other. Then Ingeld rushed towards the stern of the dragon, with a great atgear ready for the slaughter. Now the Foster Brothers attacked Ingeld, and although they fought a large part of the day with him, they did not wound him. And when the fight seemed to Ingeld to grow very hot, he sprang overboard, followed by Njorfa and Halfdan, both swimming as fast as they could. Viking did not stop fighting before he had slain every man on the dragon, after which he jumped into a boat and rowed ashore. Ingeld kept swimming till he reached the land, and then Halfdan and Njorfa were drawing near to the surf. Ingeld took a stone and threw it at Halfdan, but he dodged it under the water. Meanwhile, Njorfa landed, and Halfdan soon after him, in another place. They attacked Ingeld mightily, and having fought thus for a long time, they heard a great crash and looked thither whence they heard the crash. But on turning their faces back, Ingeld was out of sight, and instead of him was some grim-looking boar that left nothing undone as he attacked them so that they could do nothing but defend themselves. When this had been done for some time, the boar turned upon Halfdan, bearing away the whole calf of his leg. Straight away, Viking came and smote the bristles of the boar so that his back was cut in two. Then, seeing that Ingeld lay dead on the spot, they kindled a fire and burned him to ashes. Now they went back to their ships and bound up the wounds of Halfdan. After this, they sailed away from this place, north to an isle called Thruma. It was ruled by a man called Refio, a son of the sea king, Mephio. He had a daughter called Fenna, a maid of surpassing fairness and accomplishments. The viking courted her, and with King Njorfa's help and Halfdan's bravery, the marriage was agreed to. Then the foster brothers ended their warfaring. King Njorfa established himself in his kingdom, and the viking took his abode with him, and became his Jarl. But Halfdan was made a great hersier and dwelt on his byre called Vags. His land was separated by a mountain from which was ruled by Jarl Viking. They held to their friendship as long as they lived, but it was more cold between Halfdan and Njorfa. 9. A king called Olaf 
ruled Fjordvilke. He was the son of Eystein and a brother of Önund, who was the father of Ingjald the Wicked. They were all unsafe and wicked in their dealings. The King Olaf had a daughter called Bringert, whom Njorfa married and took her with him and got her with nine sons. Jokul was the eldest of these brothers. The rest were Olaf, Grim, Gitter, Tiet, Tirfin, Fjorun, Gear, Grana, and Toka. They were all promising men, though Jokul far surpassed them in all accomplishments. He was so haughty, he thought everything below himself. Olaf stood next to him, as a man skillful in all deeds, but he was of a noisy, troublesome and overbearing temperament, and the same might be said of all his brothers, and they boasted very much. The king had nine sons, the eldest of whom was Thorstein. The others were Thorer, Finn, Ulf, Stein, Romund, Finnboga, Eystein and Thorgir. They were hopeful men, of great skill in action, although Thorstein held the highest rank among them in everything. He was the largest and strongest of men. He was popular, steadfast in his friendship, faithful and reliable in all things. He could not be easily provoked to do harm, but when attacked, he revenged himself grimly. If he was insulted, it could scarcely be seen in his daily life whether he liked it or not, but long afterward, he would act as if he had been injured. A thorer was of a most sanguine and vehement temperament. If injured or affronted, he would suddenly be seized by an irresistible rage, and no matter whom he had to deal with, or what the result might be, he never hesitated to do whatsoever came into his mind. He was a man of uncommon strength, and second only to his brother Thorstein. These young men grew up together in the kingdom, in the mountain separating Vikings and Hafton's lands, there was a chasm of fearful depth and a breadth of thirty ells at the narrowest, so that it was perfectly impassable for human beings, and hence the mountain was not crossed by any paths. It had been tried by King Njorfa and Jarl Viking and Hafton, how easily might they leap over the chasm. The result was that Viking had leaped over it in full armour, Njorfa had done it in his lightest clothes, but Hafton had only done it by being received on the other side by Viking. Now they all kept quiet for a long time, and the friendship of Jarl Viking and King Njorfa remained unimpaired. 10. Njorfa and Viking became old, and their sons were rapidly advancing in growth. Jokul became, in all things, a violent and restless man. The sons of Njorfa were of nearly the same age as the sons of Viking, the youngest ones being, at this point of our saga, about twelve years old, while Thorstein and Jokul were at the age of twenty. The sons of Njorfa used to play with the sons of Viking, and the latter were in no way below the former. This made the sons of the king very jealous, and in their jealousy, as in all other things, Jokul surpassed them all, and it was easy to see that Thorstein yielded to Jokul in all things, nor was this any reproach to him. Thorstein far surpassed all his brothers and all other men known. Jarl Viking had warned his sons not to vie with the sons of the king in any games, 
but rather to spare their strength and eagerness. One day, the king's sons and the sons of Viking were playing ball, and the game was played very eagerly by the sons of Njorka. Thorstein, as usual, checked his zeal. He was placed against Yoko, and Thorur was placed against Ola, and the others were placed in the same manner, according to their age. Thus the day was spent. It happened that Thorur threw the ball on the ground so hard that it bounded over Olaf and fell down again far off. At this Olaf turned angry, thinking that Thorur was mocking him. He fetched the ball, but when he came back the game was being broken up and the people were going home. Olaf, then with the ball club, struck after Thorur, who seeing it dodged the blow in such a manner that the club touched his head and wounded it. But Thorstein, together with many other people, hurried betwixt them and parted them. Said Yoko, Suppose you think it a thing of no great weight that Thorur got a bump in his head. Thorur blushed at Yoko's words, and thus they parted. Said Thorur then, I have left my gloves behind, and if I do not fetch them, Yoko will lay it to my fear. Answered Thorstein, I do not think it advisable that you and Olaf meet. Nevertheless, I will go, said Thorur, for they have gone home. So saying, he turned back at the swinging place, and when he came to the playground, everyone had left it. Then Thorur turned his steps towards the hall of the king. At the moment, the sons of the king also came home to the hall and stood near the wall of the hall. Then Thorur turned toward Olaf and stabbed his waist, so that the spear passed through his body, whereupon he withdrew and escaped out of their hands. They, on the other hand, had agreed to do over Olaf's corpse, but Thorur went until he found his brother. Now him asked Thorstein, Why is there blood on your spear, brother? Answered Thorur, Because I do not know whether Olaf has not perhaps been wounded by the point of it. Said Thorstein, You perhaps tell of his death. Quoth Thorur, It may be that Yoko will not be able to heal the wound of his brother Olaf, though he be a very skilful man in most things. Answered Thorstein, This is a sorry thing that has now happened, for I know that my father will dislike it. And when they came home, Jarl Viking was outdoors, and he looked very stern. He said, What I looked for from you, Thorur, has now come to pass, that you would be the most luck-forsaken of all my sons. This you have shown, I think, by killing the son of the king himself. Answered Thorstein, Now is the time, father, to help your son, although he has fallen into ill luck, and that you know means for this purpose, I think you have shown that you are aware of Olaf's death, while nobody has told you of it. The king replied, I am unwilling to sacrifice so much as to break my oaths for the life of Thorur, for both of us, King Njorfa and I, have sworn to be faithful and trusty to each other, both in private and public matters. These oaths he has kept in all things. Now I will not, therefore, show myself worse than he has been. But this I would do, if I should fight against him. For there has been a time when King Njorfa was as dear to me as my own sons, and it needs not be hinted at that I should give Thorur any help. He must leave, and never more come before my eyes. 
answered Thorstein. Why should not all of us brothers then leave home? For we will not part with Thorir, but stand by one another for weal or for woe. Answered the Jarl. That is a matter that rests with you, my son. But great I must call the ill luck of Thorir. If he is to be the cause of my losing all my sons and my friendship with the king too, who is the doughtiest man in all things. And besides these, my life, which is however worth but little. But there is one thing that makes me glad. It will not fall to the lot of anyone to put you to death, although your escape will be narrow enough, and this will all be caused by Thorir's ill luck. Nevertheless, the loss of him will be felt on account of his valour. Now, my son Thorstein, here is a sword which I will give to you, and Gervado is its name, and it has always had victory upon it. My father took it from Bjorn Bluetooth at his death. I have no other distinguished weapons except Olkizia, which I took from Haruk Ironhead, but I know that nobody is able to wield it as a weapon. Now, if you are going to leave home, my son Thorstein, then it is my advice that you go up to a lake named Fenner. There you will find a boat belonging to me standing in a boathouse. Go into it, a home which lies within the lake. There you will find a shed, food and clothes enough to last you twelve months. Take good care of the boat. There are no more ships close by. Hereupon the brothers parted with their father. The brothers all had good clothes and armour, which had been given to them by their father before this happened. Thorstein and his brothers went until they found the boat. Then they rowed to the home and found the shed. Here was enough of all things which they needed, and so they took up their abode there. 11. Now it is to be told that Jokul and his brothers told of the death of Olaf to their father. Said Jokul, This is the only thing to be done, that we bring together an army and march to the house of Viking and burn him and all his sons alive in their house, and even this would scarcely be vengeance enough for Olaf's death. Said Njurfa, I wholly forbid that any harm be done to Viking. For I know that my son has not been slain by his advice, and no one is guilty of this but Thorir. The Viking and I have sworn to each other an oath of brotherhood, and this oath he has kept better than anyone else. Hence I shall not wage war against him. For I do not think Olaf will be atoned for in the least by slaying Thorir, and thus giving more grief to Viking. And so Jokul did not get any help in this matter from his father. Olaf was buried with the usual ceremonies of olden times. And from this time, Jokul began to keep a suite of men. King Jorfa was already growing very old, so that Jokul for the most part had to ward the land. One day it happened that two men went before Njorfa, with dressed in blue frocks. They greeted the king, and he asked them for their names. One of them said he was Gauten, and the other Augauten, and they bade the king to give them winter quarter answered the king. To me you look ugly, and I will not receive you. Said Jokul. Have you any accomplishments? Answered Ogauten. As to that, we have not much to boast of, still we know many more things than people have spoken to us. Said Jokul. 
It seems best to me then that you enter my suite and stay with me. So they did. Yoko did well by them. It had been heard at the King's Hall that Viking had banished his sons. Yoko was unwilling to believe it and went to Viking with a large suite. Viking asked what his errand was, and Yokel asked him what he knew about the miscreant Thorer. Viking told him that he had banished his sons so that they did not live there. Yokel asked to be allowed to search the rooms of the house. Viking granted this, but said the king would not have thought that he would deceive him. Then they searched the rooms, but as might be expected, found nothing. And having done this, they returned home. Yokel did not like that he had heard nothing of the brothers, and so he said to Ogarten and to his comrade, Would you not by your cunning be able to find out where the brothers have their dwelling place? I guess not, answered Ogarten. You are nevertheless to let me and my brother have a house to sleep in, and nobody must come there before you, nor must you visit the house until after three days. Yokel saw that this was done, and a small separate house was assigned for them to sleep in. Yogo positively forbade all people mentioning them, and he threatened the transgressor of his orders with certain death. Early on the day agreed upon, Yoko came to the house of the brothers. Said then Ogautum, You are too hasty, Yoko, for I have just wakened, so I can tell you about the sons of Viking. You know, I suppose, where there is a lake called Venner, in it is a home, and on the home a shed, and there are the sons of Viking. Answered Yoko, If what you say is so, then I have no hope of their being overtaken. Said Ogautum, In all things you seem to me to act like a motherless child, and I do not think you will be able to do much alone. Now I will tell you, continued Ogautum, that I have a skin called a weather belg. If I shake it, storm and wind will blow out of it, together with such biting frost and cold, that within three nights the lake shall be covered with so strong an ice that you might cross it on horseback if you wish. Said Yoko, Really, you are a man of great cunning, and this is the only way of reaching the home, for there are no ships before you get to the sea, and nobody can carry them so far. Hereupon, Ogauten took out his belg and shook it, and out of it there came so fearful a snowstorm and such biting frost that nobody could be out of doors. This was a thing of great wonder to all, and after three nights every water and fjord was frozen. Then Yoko gathered together men to the number of thirty. King Norfa did not like this journey, and said his mind told him it would cause him more and not less sorrow. For in this journey, he said, I will lose most of my sons and a great many other men. It would have been better if we, according to my will in the beginning, had come to terms with Thorer, and thus kept the friendship of Jarl Viking and his sons. Twelve. Now Yokel got himself ready for the journey, together with his thirty men, and besides them, Gauten and Ogauten. The same morning, Thorstein awoke in his shed and said, Are you awake, Thorer? Answered he, I am, but I have been sleeping until now. 
said Thorstein. It is my will that we get ourselves ready for leaving the shed, for I know that Yokel will come here today, together with many men. Answered Thor, I do not think so, and I am unwilling to go at all, or have you had some sign of this? I dreamt, said Thorstein, that twenty-two wolves were running hither, and besides them there were seven bears, and the eighth one, a red-cheeked bear, large and grim-looking. And besides these, there were two she-foxes leading the party. The latter were very ugly-looking, and seemed to me the most disgusting of all. All the wolves attacked us, and at last they seemed to tear to pieces all my brothers excepting you alone, and yet you fell. Many of the bears we slew, and all of the wolves I killed, and the smaller one of the foxes. But then I fell. Asked Thorer, What do you think this dream means? Made answer Thorstein, I think that the large red-cheeked bear must be the Filgia of Yokum, and the other bears the Filgias of his brothers, but the wolves undoubtedly were, to my mind, as many as the men who came with them, for they certainly are wolfishly minded towards us. But besides them there were two she-foxes, and I did not know any men to whom such Filgias belong. I therefore suppose that some persons hated by almost everybody have lately come to Yoko, and thus these Filgias may belong to them. Now, I have told you this is my thought about the matter. We will have to act in the manner pointed out to me in my sleep, and that I would we might avoid all trouble. Says Thorer. I think your dream has been nothing but a scarecrow and idle forebodings. Still, it would not be uninteresting to try our mutual strength. Quoth Thorstein, I do not think so. It seems to me that an unequal meeting is intended, and I should like it that we might get ready to go away from here. Thorer said he would not go away, and it had to be as he would have it. Thorstein arose and took his weapons, and all his brothers did likewise, but Thorer was very slow about it. At the very time when they had gotten themselves ready, Yoko came up with his men. The shed had two doors, one of which Thorstein guarded with three of his brothers. The other was guarded by Thorer together with four of his men. A sharp attack then began. The brothers warded themselves bravely, but Yoko attacked the door warded by Thorer so strongly that three of his brothers fell, but one of them was driven out of the door to the spot where Thorstein stood. Thorer still guarded the door for a while, being by no means willing to yield. Then he turned out of the door and found his way among the enemies down upon the ice. They surrounded him, but he defended himself very bravely. Thorstein, seeing this, ran out of the shed together with those of his brothers who were yet alive, and went down to the ice where Thorer was standing and now a fierce combat took place. Thorstein and Thorer dealt many heavy blows, and at last all the brothers had fallen excepting Thorstein and Thorer, and all the sons of Njorfa had also fallen save Jokul and Grim. Then Thorstein became very weary, so that he was hardly able to stand. He saw that he would fall, and of the opposite party all had fallen but Gauten and Og Outen. Now Thorer was both weary and winded, and the night was already growing very dark. Just then, 
Thorstein turned against Gauten and stabbed him through his body with Angervadl, so that he fell to the ground among the other dead bodies. Then three men, Jokel, Grimm and Og Auten, arose and searched for Thorstein among the slain, and they thought they had found him. But the person they had found was Jokel's brother Finn, for they were so much like each other it was impossible to know them apart. Grimm said Thorstein was dead. Said Og Alten, That shall be put beyond a doubt. And he cut his head off, but of course it did not bleed, for he was already dead. After this, they went home. King Njorfa asked them how the meeting had turned out, and learning this, he did not approve it at all, saying that he had now lost much more than his son Olaf, his seven sons and many other men having died. Now, Yokel kept quiet. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you've enjoyed the first part of the Strelling Saga. For me, it has so many elements rooted in myth, legend and lore, and the second part is no less exciting. I've written an accompanying episode to introduce the storyline of the saga and explain some of the words or phrases that you might hear and are possibly unfamiliar with. Its title is The Myth, Legend and Lore of Thorstein, Viking's Son. This was actually a lot of fun for me to write, as I'm briefly touching on a few things that we're going to delve into later in the year. The music you can hear in the background is a song of Throthen from the album Saga by the incredibly talented artist Adrian von Siegler. You will find links to Adrian's work in the show description. And there you'll also find a link to the saga if you feel like giving it a read. I send my best wishes to you all for a wonderful 2020. Really hope it's gotten off to a fantastic start. And also, my heartfelt thanks to my fantastic Patreon family. You guys have helped to make all the research, recording and editing possible. As always, you can reach me on email mlegendlore at gmail.com or Twitter at loremyth. And Patreon is patreon.com forward slash mythlegendlore. I'm Siobhan Clark. Thank you for listening to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. <laughs>